We're going to read in God's word just now from Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to read um, from verse 12 down to verse 17. Quite incredible words. Uh, I used to love these words when I was a wee, a wee boy. Um, and you'll know why in a few minutes when we begin to read them, if you don't already know them from the reference. So let's read God's word together. Matthew chapter 21, reading from verse 12 down to verse 17. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise and leaving them. He went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Amen. And Lord, we ask for your blessing upon us as we study your word. Now we thank you for the power of it. We thank you that as Ian has said, Lord, it never changes. It is what we stand upon. It is, our, it is our foundation. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us through it. And Lord, help us as a congregation to submit to your word. To be hearers and doers of the word of God in this place. Father, be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I felt it was important for us to spend some time um, over the next few weeks as we begin to try and find what normality looks like in a post-COVID and post-lockdown world. There are many things that have changed, as we've said, uh, the masks, the track and trace, the hand sanitizer, all those things that seem very, very different. And I wanted us to be reminded what church is. What church is. Now, we could spend a long time thinking about that, and uh, we could spend probably forever looking at God's Word and finding out. But I wanted this over the next four weeks just to, to look at four, um, four key, what I believe to be key and foundational truths that we would do well to be reminded of and to begin to implement further in our life here in Sandy Hills. And this, um, this new wee sermon series about what is church or what church is kind of was birthed out of a conversation or uh, listening into a conversation. That's what um, quite often how um, prayer is explained by 24-7 prayer. We're really just, we're eerie-wigging into someone else's conversation with the Lord when we're hearing their, their prayers. And at an early morning prayer meeting, Helen Kerr um, said something in her prayer when she quoted Paul Mallard, who was at Keswick over these last number of weeks. And she said um, something that he said, and it stuck with me, and this is what it was. Don't miscall the church. Don't miscall the church. And as Helen said that very simple but very profound statement, I've been thinking over the last number of weeks, where are I, where am I, where are we miscalling the church? What is the basis of your Christian walk? 
What is the basis of your Christian walk? Is, is, it, is it a commitment to an institution that meets in a certain way, in a certain building, on a certain day, at a certain time? Or is it, is it a commitment to someone? Is it a commitment to Jesus? And that's an important question that we need to answer. Each of us need to answer that question because where your primary focus lies will 100% shape how you worship, why you worship, how you talk, how you carry yourself, how you act, and even how you react. And I want us to answer another question at the beginning of church as we continue in what feels very different in a very different landscape in a post-lockdown life but when it comes to church are you a how it's done person or a why it's done person a how it's done person or a why it's done person now obviously each one of us are unique We've been fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, and each of us have our own wee quirks, the things that we like, the things that we enjoy ourselves. And actually, we maybe find a bit more satisfaction in, in different ways things are done than in other ways things are done. And it's okay to have preferences. It's okay for us to, to like something maybe more than we like something else. But how it's done or the why it's done is a really, really important question that each of us need to answer. So we picked up in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 21. And Jesus, in the, in the beginning of Matthew chapter 21, he has just entered triumphantly into Jerusalem. And actually, um, he, these words are amazing. We, we think, uh, think of them, um, you know, uh, on Palm Sunday, where, where Jesus is entering in and the crowds are, are shouting his name and they're, they're lifting his name high. They're shouting, Hosanna in the highest. And then, all of a sudden, in verse 12, where we began reading this morning, we feel like, if we read it from Matthew chapter 21, the beginning, it feels like we just run into this brick wall. They've been lifting his name, praising him, lifting him high. And then we read in verse 12, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Jesus has had this incredible reception as he's entered into Jerusalem. And, you know, if he was anything like me, and thankfully he's not, he would have maybe got a bit distracted, listening to the crowds sing his name. Maybe the odd wee royal wave as he walked down, but no, he did not get distracted. He focused on the why he was there, not with what he met. The why he was there to go to the temple in Jerusalem. And the ESV titles it, Jesus cleanses the temple. That is why he came. It was to go to the temple. In Mark's account, we have nightfall between Jesus' triumphant entry and then Jesus entering the temple. But Matthew abbreviates the account because he wants to show us that actually this is why Jesus came to Jerusalem here. This is, this is why he's come. 
He's come to go into the temple. And boy, what a change in the narrative we have. They've just been shouting his Hosanna. They've just been shouting his Hosanna. And then, like I said, it's like we run into a brick wall. When we read temple here in Matthew chapter 21, let me try and uh, explain to you that uh, I'm not a visual person. Maybe you aren't either. Maybe you are. It might help for you just to try and close your eyes and, and try and visualize the temple. The way the temple would work was they had these different courts. And what Jesus is speaking of, what Matthew's speaking of here, where Jesus is going to, he's in the precinct of the courts, on the kind of outskirts of the temple. And you had these different courts that, depending on who you were, meant you could go a step further closer to the actual sanctuary. And closer to the Holy of Holies. And the very outskirts of the temple, you had what was called the court of the Gentiles. And, and what that meant was that's where the Gentiles, anyone who wasn't a Jewish person, that that was where they had to go. And they had to stop there. They couldn't go any further. They couldn't push any further into the temple because they were a Gentile. They had to stay in the courts of the Gentiles, in their court. And then you had the next kind of inner circle was the court of women. And women wouldn't be allowed to go past there. Jewish women, that is, because the Gentiles had to stop on the outer court. And the Jewish women, they couldn't go any further than the court of women. And then you had, after that court, was the court of Israel. And that was any layman who was, who, who was Jewish. He could go there. He could go past the Gentile courts, he could go past the courts of women, but he couldn't go any further than the court of Israel. And then you had what was the sanctuary, and that was for the priests. And then you had the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt. And remember when Jesus died on the cross and the, the curtain was torn in two, that's what that was separating. At this scene, what we're reading here, would have taken place on the very outskirts of the precincts of the temple where the courts of the Gentiles would be. And actually, when we start to begin to understand that, that this is where the Gentiles would go to worship, and they couldn't push any further in, they couldn't go anywhere else, they had to stay in the court of the Gentiles, it begins to kind of help us understand why Jesus is so annoyed by what he is seeing here. Knowing the Gentiles couldn't go any further, but that is where our scene takes place this morning. That is where the religious leaders, where they set up shop in the courts of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, as they would go to pray, they would have to be hearing the, the wheeling and the dealing and the trading and the pigeons flapping and the animals making noise and the coins getting exchanged and all that hustle and bustle. That's what they were exposed to. And they couldn't go any further in because they were Gentiles. And part of what's taking place here is exclusion of the Gentiles in worship. It's important we remember that as we look later on at Isaiah in a wee while. And knowing the Gentiles couldn't go any further, and Jesus is appalled at what he sees. The temple would have been set up with chairs. They would have had the tables, the animals, the hustle and the bustle. 
the sacrifices that the animals would, would, would be being bought for. And some of these things were okay because people had to travel a long distance. They didn't want to be covering a, a pigeon with them as they traveled to go and worship. Some people needed to buy animals. So actually, in some ways, it wasn't really the, the what was happening that was the biggest issue here, but it was the where it was happening. And obviously, some of what was going on was exploitation, which is obviously wrong. But the selling of some pigeons was, would have been okay. Some people had traveled at great lengths. They needed to exchange money to be able to, to offer it in the temple. But it's taking place in the Gentile courts. And Jesus starts flipping tables. Isn't it quite amazing to think that the Jesus we read of, being, think of being so meek and so mild, and often is portrayed as, you know, just some peace guy. He goes in and he starts to flip tables. And he hurries them out. He chases them out of the, uh, the temple. Instead of Jesus fitting into their nationalistic expectations, he begins to attack the sacrificial worship at the center of Judaism itself. It is rather astonishing and it's quite breathtaking and it's meant to be. Jesus properly begins to wreak havoc in the temple courts. Why? Because the Jewish approach to worship was wrong. And he was staking his messianic claim over worship. Their worship had become a big business. Trading and selling. They had lost the heart of worship. It was no longer about the praise of God's name. But about the commercial gain and the exclusion of some people. Stop and think and try and imagine what Jesus is seeing. They were still living under the old sacrificial system. Where for their atonement they would have to offer an animal to be made right before God. And the religious leaders, they had began to make this some sort of commercial business. And the sacrificial system that God gave his people in the Old Testament was always pointing forward to the one who would come, the Messiah, the lamb who would be slain. Each sacrifice that they would offer, and we can read about them in the Old Testament, particularly Leviticus, each one they would have to offer was like a prophetic image of, of the Messiah that would one day come as a once and for all sacrifice, as Hebrews explains it to us. They were waiting and waiting for that day to come. And in their waiting, they began to, you know, make commercial gain out of this. But their Messiah was now here. And as he enters into the temple, what does he see? He sees the sacrificial system being exploited. They welcome him into Jerusalem in a magnificent way. And the reason he comes to Jerusalem, they've completely missed the point. Jesus, the one who would go to the cross, who would forgive his people for their sins by dying in their place. And now he sees as he goes into the temple that they're exploiting the sacrificial system that God had given them. He's on his way to Calvary. And this is what he sees. No wonder he starts to flip some tables in righteous anger. He's on his way to the cross to take their place. And this is what he sees them doing. And then Jesus quotes in verse 13 from Isaiah 56. And we're going to read Isaiah 56. This is what it says. 
and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This part of Isaiah 56, where Jesus quotes, and he particularly quotes, My house shall be called a house of prayer. This part of Isaiah 56 is is God's promise that actually this is bigger than just the Jewish race. That God had a heart also for the Gentiles, those who were outside of his chosen people, the foreigners and the outcasts, that one day they would be able to come to worship him. And as important as as the part of those outside, the the Jewish people is Jesus' main point here, that, that his house was made to be a place of worship without hindrance. And what are they doing here in the temple? They're hindering the Gentiles who God had specifically promised here in Isaiah 56 that he would create a place for them. In their worship, they're excluding the Gentiles. See, friends, worship is our purpose. It is why we have been made. It is why we have been created. To worship. So don't miss call the church. The church is here to worship God. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So never place anything in the place of worship in our lives. It is why we breathe, to praise him, to magnify him, to glorify him. And see if we don't, we're told the rocks will cry out. John Piper said this, mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. I love that. Mission exists because there's places where worship doesn't. Where we don't see people worshipping God, we should be reaching out to them so that, yes, they can experience his goodness, but so he can be glorified and receive the honour that is due his name. Our primary calling is to be a place of worship, a place of prayer. As Jesus says here, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Why do we worship? Because he is worthy. There is no one like him. He is the darling of heaven, the bright and morning star, the sinless, spotless lamb of God, the direct representation of God, the father, our creator, the king and head of the church, the king of kings and lord of lords. And as Ian said, no wonder our choir sang so loud, not because they liked the sound of their own voice, but because the God they were worshipping was so wonderful and so worthy of their praise. Then Jesus quotes from Jeremiah 7. We're not going to read the whole thing because time is moving on this morning. But he says that you make it a den of robbers. My house is to be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And where Jesus is quoting from the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah's context is he's pointing at his people in his day saying that their worship is hypocritical. The God you worship and the life you live, they don't marry up. They don't marry up. Worship of the church 
is more than just one hour on a Sunday morning, but it is every fiber of our being because our God is glorious. Why does Jesus pull these two verses together? Because this house that was intended to be a house of prayer was made to be a den of robbers. This place that was meant to be a spiritual place of worship was now being exploited for financial gain. And then Jesus goes on and he, he heals the blind and the lame. And please don't miss the importance of that in verse 14. The blind and the lame, they came to him and he heals them. And it is so remarkable that he does that because it's the only healing that we read of Jesus doing within a temple place, a temple setting. And by King David's degree in the Old Testament, the blind and the lame couldn't come to the temple. But here we have the son of David. The son of David, which is a title used for the messiahship of Christ, not only welcomes them in, not only welcomes them in, but he heals them as well. And you know what the strange, place, strange thing is that there are some people in life that they just can't stand it when people exuberantly worship Jesus. They don't like it. I never used to like it. I used to despise happy clappers. Oh, I used to drive me bonkers. Stop clapping. Most of them can't even clap in time. And then I experienced the love of Jesus for myself. I'm probably one of the biggest happy clappers you'll ever meet. And we see two responses here to what they've witnessed, the healing of the blind and the lame. There are those who cry Hosanna, and we read that they are the children. The children cry Hosanna. But what is the reaction of the, the scribes and the religious elite? They are indignant. They are so furious with what is going on. How dare Jesus heal people in the temple? How dare they claim that he is Hosanna, that he is the son of David? How dare they worship him? How dare he come in and do that in our place, in our temple, in our courts? But it's his church and he is the king and the head of it. Let me read it's the children who cry Hosanna. The children cry Hosanna. They've seen what Jesus has just done. They've just experienced his mercy and his grace as he heals these blind and lame people. What other response from the heart can we have when we see Jesus move apart from shout, Hosanna, because he's so worthy of our praise. But the religious elite, they are indignant. They are raging. And they say to Jesus, and in their question, they're asking Jesus to rebuke the children. Do you not hear what these are saying? How dare they laud you with the title, the son of David? They knew what that title meant. How dare they call you the son of David? They were indignant with Jesus. They were so angry. They believed what was happening was so inappropriate for the temple, for the courts. And you know what Jesus does? Rather than rebuking the children, he rebukes the religious leaders. Have you not read? Of course they'd read. But in what he's saying there in verse 16, he is rebuking the leaders. Have you never read? 
And then he quotes Psalm 8, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And it's amazing that Jesus uses Psalm 8 because Psalm 8 is a psalm that is, that is worship that is reserved for God himself. And in doing so, Jesus is saying, I'm not just the Messiah, but I'm God incarnate. Religious leaders had no objection to the trading taking place, but they couldn't believe that the children were shouting Hosanna. And do you know what's beautiful is that Jesus uses the word here, infants. It's, it's like the youngest of children. Jesus defends them and rebukes the religious elite. Just in closing, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus heals some people on the Sabbath day. And again, the Pharisees, they go to Jesus and they rebuke him. And Jesus says these words, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. That something, let me tell you, is a someone. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is greater than our building. That's why we could worship for the last 17 months and continue to do church and be church. Because he's greater than this beautiful sanctuary. He's greater than our traditions. He's more important than the aesthetics that we look at and our styles that we prefer. Let us never replace the why we worship with the how we worship. Styles come and go. Zian explained, started with a presenter who would choose a key, then to a choir, and now we're moving on to some sort of worship team. Styles come and go. But the one who we praise remains the same. Let this house here in Sandy Hills, let it be known as a house of prayer for the nations, where the marginalized, the oppressed, the outcasts find a place, where children find a voice, they can shout Hosanna as loud as they want. And God finds a people who worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. I'm just going to invite Ian to come back.